Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website, ericlevy.com, under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you Chapter 32 of the Book of Eov. Out of nowhere, while we were waiting for a response from God, a new character appears on the scene. Um, to introduce the cast change, we require a shift from poetry that we've been involved in back to the prose, which we haven't seen since the first two chapters, although the prose setup would only last through verse 5. Afterwards, the new character will return to speaking in poetics. And the three men, that is Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far, ceased to responding to Eov because he was righteous in his eyes. It seems that the final two pronouns, his, or he, uh, referred to Eov, meaning that there's no point to someone who is convinced that he is in the right, because therefore it's impossible to sway him. Although, if you recall, the truth is, so far, didn't respond at all to Eov in the third and final go-around, and even Bildad's speech in chapter 25 was only five verses long, so really, Eov has been on his own since he responded to um, Eliphaz in chapter 23. And then Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite, from the family of Ram became angry. At Eov he became angry because he justified himself over God, meaning Eov declared himself the winner between his actions, the actions that he did, the way he is behaved, as opposed to God's actions towards him. And against the three companions he became angry because they could not find an answer, and therefore they vilified Eov. Now, Rav Yosef Karo says that this means that the only way they found to justify God was by vilifying Eov, even though that Eov was really not guilty of any sins, which we, the reader, know from the beginning. Rashi actually cites the opinion, uh, the rabbinic opinion, that Vayashiwet Eov is, an, is what's called a tikkun sofrim, or an emendation of the scribes. And what, Eliyahu, what Elihu, sorry, really meant to say was that they didn't Vayashiwet Eov, but Vayashiwet Hashem, that they vilified God, except it doesn't want to say something like that, so it changes to Eov. So I guess if by vilifying God, what that means is that by not being able to find a good answer, to, to, to respond to Eov, that puts God in a bad light, and that's what made Elihu upset. Um, Ebenezer doesn't like the tikkun, and as I said, Rav Yosef Kara doesn't go with the tikkun, and the truth is, I think the text works better without the tikkun, without the emendation. Now, we have to answer the question, who is this Elihu? I mean, we know he came out of nowhere, but what, you know, what do we know about him? So, if we look at his name, it, it comes out to meaning something like, he is my God, or, uh, he is, uh, or, or God, he is my savior, or, or something in the, that similar area. And it's a very Jewish name. For instance, Shmuel the prophet was descended from an Elihu, I think his great-grandfather's great-great-grandfather. Um, and uh, the word uh, Elihu shows up quite a few times in Tanakh, uh, uh, representing Jewish characters. Sometimes with an Aleph, sometimes without an Aleph at the end, and here too in this book, sometimes Elihu is spelt with an Aleph and sometimes without. On the other hand, while if we look at the word Buzi, the Buzite, uh, while the father of the prophet Yechezkel, Ezekiel, was named Buzi, the Buz actually is um, the father of a nation that was the brother of a brother to a nation of Uts. 
Um, both Buz and Uts are the children of Nahor, Avraham's brother. Uh, Nahor, of course, was an Aramite, and that could tie us into the identification that he was from the family of Ram, Mishpachat Ram, because Ram could be short for Aram. On the other hand, we defined Uts not as being Aramite, and Uts, by the way, is where Eov is from, but uh, we defined it in the very first lesson as being Edomite, not Aramite. And in fact, there was a city called Aram down in Edom and Wells. So it all gets a little confusing and overlapped exactly who uh, who it is, but it seems like Buzi is, is connected to uh, Uts. Um, keep in mind, of course, that Edom is just opposite Judean territory on the other side of the Jordan River, or the other side of the of the Dead Sea. And we know from archaeological digs that there was a certain amount of crossover between Edom and Judea. Sometimes Edom moved over into the uh, west bank of the Jordan River, and sometimes Judea, Judah moved over into the east bank of the Jordan River. There's a lot of overlap and a little bit of intermixing in the territory and the culture. And as far as their relation goes between the Jewish state and uh, between the Judean state and between uh, Edom, there was sometimes uh, a little bit of love, and there was a lot of times a huge amount of hatred which means some things really never change. The more interesting of the name, to my mind, is his father's name, is Elihu's father's name, which is Barach El. Barach El means to bless God. And that expression, bless God, was the whole issue of the wager that Satan, that the Satan made against God back in chapter 1, chapter 2. Although there he was convinced that Eov would Barach El, which means to curse God, and here it means literally to bless God. But those two words are very, um, they, they really recall the whole first two chapters. As if the name is not so much a real name, but a setup to recall what the story is all about in the first place. Also, I mentioned Mishpachat Ram, which is from the family of Ram, which can be short for Aram. Rashi says it's actually a code word for Abraham, which returns to the idea that this is a Jewish interloper. And what he's doing is getting a chance to put like the home team spin on it, the Jewish spin on the book, which by and large is a universal book. I would also like to present another possibility, though, is that Mishpachat Ram from the family of those on high can be referring to angelic creatures, which makes me wonder with the word Barach El, which is reminiscent of the first two chapters, and Mishpachat Ram which is also recollect, recollecting of a people on high or creatures on high or a family that is on high, whether there are any characters, angelic characters from that were listed in the first two chapters that are making a repeat performance here. Um, of course, this is a construct of the author, and he's trying to express something with a name, and exactly what he's trying to express is, is hard to say. But more important... Uh, then who, uh, who Eli who is, is what he says. And we need essentially to look for how his arguments are going to differ from the arguments of the three friends. And in fact, how they're going to differ from God's speeches, which come at the end of the book or towards the end of the book. Unfortunately, in this chapter, Eli who spends all of his time telling us what justifies him of speaking in the first place. The actual speech, the actual arguments, will only begin in chapter 33. So, let's move on to Elihu's um, preliminaries. And Elihu waited, or he really suppressed the words that he wanted to have with Eov, because they, meaning the three companions, were older than him in years. Don't forget the word yom, can mean day, but could also mean years, or eons, or eras. So, we discover that he's been sitting quietly all along, which makes sense, 
since what we'll see is from time to time he'll quote what they've been saying or what Eob said word for word. Now, if we want to pursue the Jewish aspect of Elihu, like Rashi said, so he may actually be a metaphor for the Jewish nation and that Jewish nation's idea of wisdom of God. Why? Because in, in truth, all the other nations and their wisdoms are earlier, they preceded the tribe of Israel and its wisdom. So essentially, pride of age comes first. He says, listen, you guys are older than me, so you speak first. Uh, but eventually, when the wisdom of the older nations, when pride of age does not suffice, so therefore Jewish wisdom kicks in. Uh, keep in mind that now that we're in the 21st century and we look at the Jewish people, so I'm not sure there is a religion which goes back further than ours. Uh, but it wasn't always like that. At this point, there were plenty of, of religions, faiths, ideas, and uh, philosophical perspectives which predated Judaism. Vayar Elihu and when Elihu saw that there was no response from the three men, or no response that could shut Eov up, he became angry. I think this repetition, because we've heard it before at the beginning, is to tell us that he has tried to be quiet and respectful. And as long as they were talking, even though the, he wasn't happy with what they were saying and the progress that they were making, he manages he managed to keep his mouth zipped. But now that they've stopped, his anger percolates to the top, it boils over, and forces him to speak. Uh, it's interesting that the expression chara apo, which we just had here, by yichar apo, chara apo, um, shows up four times in these four verses that introduce Elihu. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the point is or why the repetition, maybe just to totally show us that Elihu is piping mad. Vayan Elihu ben Barachel habuzi vayomar, so Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite says, and now as you see, we're, we're returning to that poetic uh, format. Tsair ani liyamim v'atem yishishim, alkein zachalti vaira mechavot dei itchem. I am younger than you in years, and you are the elders. That's why I was afraid, and I was scared to express my opinions with you. The word zachal, uh, it, it, it also means something that creeps on the ground. It has a sense of being so scared that one is sort of creeping along in fear. Amarti yamim yidaberu verov shanim yodiu chokma. I figured, I said, but it really means I said to myself, I thought, let the years, meaning let experience speak, let those of many years express wisdom, express their wisdom. Achein ruachi be'enosh v'nishmat shadai t'minim. Indeed, the spirit, meaning the the, the 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 spirit of God is with man, and the breath of Shaddai of God enlightens them. This is not only a reference to Genesis, the way God breathed his spirit into man, but it's more of a reference, I think, to Eliphaz and to Tzophar, who claimed that some spirit of understanding infused them and gave them the, the ability to speak. Eliphaz said he got it from above, from some transcendental experience. Tzophar said he got it from some internal source. Um, and I don't think Elihu is being sarcastic here yet. That is, even though we've seen that sarcasm is definitely in the toolkit of the author of this book of Eov, I think Elihu is confirming that the elders could have received wisdom from above, and therefore, since they are older and had more time to receive this wisdom, they have the primary right to speak. But, Not many become wise. Not many become elders who can comprehend justice, which means can comprehend how to justify God's actions, that is, who can argue theodicy correctly. 
in in Hebrew, lachem means therefore. So that if we translate based on the Hebrew, we would say the sense is therefore, since I have achieved wisdom as well, I say listen to me, and I will explain it all indeed I, afani. In Arabic, the word lachem means not so, and sometimes that shows up in Hebrew. It's sort of a short form of lokain. Um, and then the translation of this verse would be, and since that is not so that you three have been among those few who actually do receive wisdom, regardless of how old you are, I have decided to speak even though I am young. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your understandings, or the way you made things, uh, the way you expressed things, until your words could be analyzed. Notice the word ad, ad, tachrun milim, which means until the words came out, they could be analyzed, and then I could realize that they weren't all that good. He's playing with the word ad from the previous sentence, ad tachrun. And Eov says the word va'ad dechem by drawing out the syllable ad here. The reason why we know he spoke that way is because there's a kamatz under the ayin, even though there really should have been a shorter chataf under the ayin. So the sense when you translate it into English with the fact that he stretched out that word ad, in Adichem, what he's saying is, I can, I comprehend every little last bit of you. You are totally transparent to me. And behold, Eov has no one to instruct him or no one who can rebuke him. None of you can answer his statements. Pentomeru matsanu chokma el yidefenu loish. Lest you say, oh, we found Chachma, we know the right wisdom to do. Let God push him back, but not man. Meaning, you may think that since you couldn't convince him, the best thing to do is let God talk. Um, Elihu is rejecting this, and what he says instead is, Lo lo But he, meaning Eov, hasn't set out his words against me, towards me. That is, he hasn't tried his arguments against me. And when he does, I won't respond the way you did. Now, this is quite the confident statement, meaning that this argument isn't over, and he, Eov, won't get out of my arguments as easily as he got out of uh, uh, yours. And this is, uh, as I said before, compels us, essentially, to look for the differences when Elihu actually gets down to his arguments in the coming chapters. What are the differences between those and the three friends? And we're really going to have to look for them because they're not so easy to find. Also, since... God, in fact, does respond to Elihu, that is if, it, uh, sorry, to, to Eov. If Elihu hadn't interrupted now with his conversations towards Eov, then God would have been the next speaker, as we know from the end of the book, and God would have responded, much as the friends, I guess, were planning. So, essentially, Elihu is saying, I, before God gets to go, we're not finished yet. Let's try the following arguments on for size. Now here, since he's still speaking to the three companions, but he's speaking now about them in third person, so mockery definitely seems to be what Elihu, what Elihu is doing right now. They were scared, literally broken. They couldn't respond anymore. Words abandoned them. I waited until they would stop talking, until they halted from answering him anymore. 
Now let me answer my piece, indeed, me. Let me explain what I know, indeed, even me. This focus on the indeed me, the af ani, the hine ani, it shows up five times in this chapter. Now, it could be a humble part of Elihu justifying that he, even though he's young, has a right to speak, but there does seem to be a sense of the overconfident, maybe even a little bit conceited here, in the sense that that uh, it's now my turn to show who's who. Um, maybe Eov is just asserting himself to be unique uh, from the rest of the discourse in the book, and that we have to really focus on what is different about him than what we've seen before. Indeed, I am full of words. The wind in my guts means the my instincts to speak, my, my gut sense is cramping me up. And I, I'm sorry about my terrible translation, my really unpoetic translation that doesn't come close to but what he's trying to say is, well, let me paint a picture. Remember those kids in grade school who always knew the answer and you knew that they always knew the answer because they would squirm around their seats and their hands would be held up and they would support it with their other hand like their first hand weighed 12,000 pounds and they screamed, oh, oh, I know, call on me, call on me. So that's the sense, like they have to get it out. Um, another metaphor, if you don't mind me introducing something, it's also that feeling that you get when you're watching like a live trivia show, like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And the guy on TV has no idea what the answer is, even though it's the easiest question in the world, like what was the name of the ship on Gilligan's Island that they, you know, that, that got, uh, that got lost at sea? And you're screaming at the TV set because you know the answer. And if only you were there, you could get an, give the answer and then you could be a millionaire and retire for the rest of your life. Well, anyway, that's how Elihu feels. Now, Elihu will stay in his area of what he feels inside his stomach, but the metaphor will change a little bit. My stomach is like, as yet, an open wine, like new wineskins about to crack open. The first image is uh, is referring to the actual wind in his stomach, that is the instincts, and they are like a new wine, which needs to be aired out and tasted and, and tried out. Uh, the second image, of course, is the stomach itself, the wine skin, which is bursting at the seams as it wants to, as the new wine writes to, wants to flow out. Let me speak and get some space, which means let me alleviate the pressure building up from all these things I'm keeping up inside. I will open my lips, so let me answer. In the next two sentences, the last two sentences of the chapter, Eob will end off his introduction uh, with a very nice piece of chiastic poetry, which means a form which reads A, B, then B, A, or in this case, the word Esa, followed by the idea Kana, followed again by the idea Kana, and then returning to the word Esa in the following way. Alna Esa Pneish Ve'el Adam Lo Kilo Yadati Kimat Yisa Eni Oseni. Uh, let me go over them step by step. Don't expect me to recognize the face of a person because to man, I will not mince my words. The word kinui means to replace one word with another word to soften things up. As I mentioned before, the crime of lisapanim means to show preference to somebody because of their status. And here he may be referring to Eov, which means I'm going to speak in Eov, now maybe looking at Eov. Don't you think that I'm not going to say what I need to say? 
um, a judge is supposed to treat everybody equal, and he's going to do so as well. Because I don't know how to mince words, because if I did, or he knows how, but he doesn't dare do it, because if I did, my maker would make me bear the burden of it, or the word or maybe literally he would carry me off, that is, essentially he would punish me. Note that while Elihu is going to square off against Eov, and in fact, Eov will not even be given the chance to respond, there is a certain amount, a sense that Elihu is identifying with Eov in ways that the three friends did not. Uh, and, and identifying with Eov against the companions. Because Eov spent a lot of time using legal terms, which the friends sort of rejected. He used the word la'anot to answer in court, lisapanim, to recognize one's face or not recognize one's face as uh, as in to sympathize with somebody in a court. The word mishpat, the word mochiach, which really means to challenge somebody or to accuse somebody in court. The word arachmilim, which means to lay out your court case. All of these words, which Eov has been using, are all used sort of in a condensed way over and over again in this chapter. So I think it may be as if to say, Eov, you wanted a trial from God. Well, I'm not God. I want to speak first. But I sympathize with you, and I will give you an open hearing. The only thing that's a little bit weird about that is there is no open hearing. Elihu has a series of speeches. Eov never gets to respond to those speeches, so it's hard to say exactly what Elihu's goal was. But in any event, we'll read on the following chapters. We'll see what Eliu has to say. We'll see how it's different than what's come before. And we'll try to get a sense of how Eov might have responded to it if only he was given the chance, which the author of Eov did not let him do.